Welcome to You Better Believe It. Uh, this week we're doing something a little bit different and we are talking about, uh, not to bury the lead, the magnificent movie from last year, Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, first, I have an announcement and Nate, I hate to tell you this, but the last episode we recorded, I somehow muted my own microphone. So it's an hour of you talking and then listening to the void. So <laughs> what I'm thinking I might doing of doing is releasing it as is as like a adult coloring book and if anybody out there wants to have a podcast with nate it's already preformed. you can record it and send it to us and we'll publish it and maybe that would be fun <laughs> oh man yeah i i hey it's a, kind of a mad lib i'm into it that sounds interesting yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, shit. are you are you unmuted now yeah i double checked it and it wasn't even that i was muted like i thought the mic was muted what it was when the uh the recording software updated, it only uh, took the system sounds and not the microphone in the system sounds. Like, you have to check a separate box. So it just recorded uh-huh. whatever the was coming in, not going out. Oh, okay. Well, that's too bad, but that's all right. Uh, I mean, a short version, just to recap what you probably missed, is we, we both liked that uh, A Wind Named Amnesia film. Both gave it an eight. And uh, we both thought it was just a crazy bonkers joyride of weirdness, and you should definitely check that out. Yeah. So we did mean to have an episode already, so I know it seems like forever since we've had something up there, but we'll be a little, I'll be a little bit more uh, punctual. Yeah, and, and, you know, hey, maybe in, uh, maybe in a year when this is just taken off and we've got hordes and thralls of followers, we can just redo the Amnesia episode. We'll see. Yeah. Um, we can certainly re-talk about it. I Everybody gets a lost episode. Uh, we had one movie of the podcast. I think it was The Accountant. And it, most of it got salvaged at some point. But we've all had our moments. And uh, you know what? I said I'm sorry. And I think it's time to move on. Yeah. But Nate. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Um, <laughs> barring like Ghost World and Road to Perdition and those kind of indie things, is Into the Spider-Verse the best comic book movie ever made? I say yes. You say what? I, I say yes. And I, I think it might be just plainly one of the best animated features ever made. I agree, and uh, we'll get into this, I think, more, but it's almost miraculous that it was because it was made by Sony Pictures Animation, whose, like, claim to fame is the Hotel Transylvania movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think, you know, this this really, this comes down to my undying love for uh, Lord and Miller as a production team. And the way that they really know how to capture a story and then that I really think they had a a unique vision for this film because the animation is at once not trying to be photorealistic, which I think is remarkable. Um, It's, it's allowing itself to be animated, but it's also really like a constant love letter to comic books. Yeah. We talk about this a lot and, um, this might be one of the, if not the best examples of using the medium for all that you can. Because if it's animated, just make it animated. And it's not meant to be like a like a Wolf Brigade thing, which I we enjoyed, obviously. And it's a great movie, but it's like not meant to be, not, not that it's not meant to be animated, but it's not meant to take advantage of the fact that it is animated. Where right, we see yeah. so many other like... I don't know, Minions and, you know, the Hotel Transylvanias and even, like, something like The Incredibles, which people like, but it's just, like, there's nothing here that you couldn't realistically do in a live-action movie. That, oh, absolutely. I and, mean, it's, it's really, you know, the... the this, this movie is different because where 
where a lot of animation is specifically about, well, it would be too hard. It would be too hard to convince people that Tim Allen wearing a, an astronaut suit means that he's a toy spaceman. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and animate the movie. Like, yeah, and I feel... Uh, I feel yeah. like the animation in this is going to be pretty timeless. Like, I, you, if you go back and watch Toy Story, let's say, I mean, it's still a good movie. Um, the animation is frighteningly uncanny. Like, it's not great. Uh, I mean, it it's was the first you know, wave back then. Yeah, too. yeah. I mean, it's just it's just hampered by the fact that it's like technologically based in the way that like hand animated things are not. Right. Um, but this steers so much weirder and like artful. That I think it's going to hold up a lot better. And, like, for what I expected and what could very easily have been an artless cash grab like every other Sony Spider-Man movie. Sure. Uh, this is, like, astounding that this much craft went into it. And, I mean, I'm on record as really loving Venom, but not because it's good in any way. In fact, like, I would say it's, like, wildly incompetent, but it's enjoyable in its stupidity and this is not that this is like a real movie oh this this movie this movie uh should serve as a future template for every other superhero movie as far as how to have uh a believable emotionally resonant story that is layered and i mean there is there is like this yeah this movie captures this movie captures everything about superhero movies that i like so i I've been kind of catching up on some of the Marvel movies again in in anticipation of Endgame, and uh, and watching this too. Like, there's always something when when for the most part, when I watch a superhero movie, I I walk away with this sort of with this this good kind of sadness, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, because these movies these movies tend to end on a note of like your main character discovers their absolute purpose. And that absolute purpose is meaningful and, and you know, long-lasting. And it's, it's beyond anything that I think uh, modern life can provide, right? right? Like, I, I mean, and, and maybe I'm wrong because I don't have kids or something. And if I had a kid, I would be like, oh, finally I have purpose. I don't know. It depends <laughs> who you talk to. That's what people say. Yeah. But, but you know, like, I... I have never felt like, wow, I really have, I have meaning. I'm embracing this. And the feeling that I get from these movies, and especially this one, I mean, the way that, the way that Miles is, like, self-actualized and has meaning in his life, has captured and accepted himself at the end of this movie, is, is like, it's tear-jerking, really. Like, it's, it's so, it's such a wonderful thing to feel. Yeah, and I think... Character. The ultimate message of the movie, like kind of the, the well, one of the theses, um, that yeah, this is his, you know, his kind of ultimate uh, purpose. But at the same time, it's like it doesn't have to be me; it can be any of us. Like, yeah. it's, it's a really resonant theme, especially like nowadays. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. like you don't have to like obviously, you know, having superpowers helps, but. That wasn't what made it the whole time. It was the, you know, that that exchange between uh, Peter B. Parker and him. It's like, well, how will I know when I'm ready? He's like, you don't. It's, it's just a leap, a leap of, faith. of faith. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, and and that and and because it's so well written. Because that comes up, 
you know, that's that original line is, you know, they all of the other uh, spider people have effectively kicked Miles out of the group and said, hey, look, you can't handle it, man. We love you, but it's not going to work. And and and, you know, the leap of faith thing is part of kind of this somber realization. And then at the end of the movie, we call it back and it ties everything together for Peter B. Parker's storyline, which makes it about like just getting over your shit and embracing like what you can do in your personal life. And it's, it's just, it's magnificent. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is so well done. Yeah. And even like rich, and I guess we'll talk more like nuts and bolts plot in a minute, but even the, the Richard B. Parker storyline of the, it's the heroic sacrifice, but really it's the coward's way out is like a really interesting dichotomy that you don't expect in this, like, again, what should be a soulless cash grab, cheaply put together animated movie and it's something like completely different oh yeah no i mean the this movie this movie like opens on well doesn't quite open on but within the first 20 minutes the spider-man who's been introduced is dead is murdered there hasn't been single there hasn't been a single live action superhero movie with the audacity to kill off a character yeah, especially and this like movie that. starts with that, yeah. which I mean, I, I, that's huge and bold. And I mean, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Should we should we start from the top? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, I, the first note I took is that even the studio bumpers are preparing you for the thing for the experience you're about to have. Yeah, I saw this in the theater. I know you the, you just saw it recently, right? Like when it yeah, came. yeah, I was not prepared. For any of this, when I saw it, TJ and I saw it like uh, around Christmas time, I guess. Yeah. And it was just like it was just like an like an assault on the senses, like in the best possible way. Oh yeah, yeah. It. I mean, it's this movie is is so loud at times in a good way, and it's so it's just the the whole experience is is I don't know. It's just so comprehensive. Like nothing, no, no aspect of the cinematic experience goes to waste in this movie. This script is impossibly tight. Yeah. Like... Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. There's, there is one scene that I find kind of tedious in this whole film. And it's the, uh, Miles and Peter B. Parker being dragged around by the subway train slapstick sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I like everything about it. And I don't even dislike that enough to to even like take this movie down any yeah. any ticks like like because I put it on and I expected you know I'll you know futz around with the dogs and I'll answer some emails and stuff because I've seen the movie already I just needed to kind of like brush up on it but I was so totally engrossed in it that like I I watched it like it was the first time I'd seen it oh yeah anyway ah, so good so yeah so we get we get those the the great like title sequence and then we get this. Wrap up opening by Peter Parker, who is voiced by Chris Pine. Really good perform. Like all the performances are really good, but I thought for what yeah. he has to do, he's really good. Yeah, no, he's he's perfect because he he captures the he captures kind of the Peter Parker that we're used to, um, in a slightly uh, goofier way, I guess, than the self serious version that we've that we've seen a lot of. Um, and yeah. It's it's phenomenal because it calls back to pretty much every other movie that that has existed in the Spider-Man oeuvre. Yeah, well, he <laughs> and, comes across as, like, the gestalt of all these, like, various Spider-Men, and I don't know if this is intentional or I'm just bringing my own baggage to it. 
All the alternate dimension spider people seem like just bits of his psyche, even though they are fully formed characters. Oh yeah, like, yeah. He, he's no, like fair. he's like the apex of all of them. Yeah, yeah. He's that. I mean, he's like, and yeah. I mean, he's he's blonde. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just uh, yeah. He's just a great. He's a great character to introduce. And uh, now the thing that the thing that I've been racking my brain about, and I did some reading on, is that so he's technically the ultimate Marvel version of Spider-Man because in like the nineties or two thousands, they started a new Spider-Man series because the original one was convoluted. Yeah. They did that kind of across the line. So like the first X-Men movie is really kind of an ultimate X-Men movie. Um, It was, they didn't want to reboot the entire line and start over at once. They kind of did like a half measure for it. So they did the Fantastic Four, they did the X-Men, they did Spider-Man, and a couple of the Avengers. So, like, the Nick Fury, uh, Sam Jackson, is actually a, a reference to that book, because in the book, he's draw- the Nick Fury is drawn exactly, like, photorealistically, like Sam Jackson, and they even, like, comment on it in the book. You know, this oh, wow. is way prior to the Iron Man movie. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you got, so so basically, the, I guess my, my, my thought is, is the Chris Pine Peter Parker isn't, even the Peter Parker in our dimension. No, the and he's, he's also shape. like a. This is gonna get. I don't want to get too deep and derail this. In the <laughs> '90s, prior to like in the kind of the early '90s, there was a Spider-Man clone saga, and he had a clone that went by Ben Riley, like the Uncle Ben and uh, May's maiden name, and he okay. was blonde with blue eyes. And they were gonna go back and forth and tell you eventually that. Ben was the real Spider-Man the whole time. The Peter you've been following was a clone. It turned into this, like, just huge mess. But I think the blonde hair and the blue eyes is a reference to the Ben Riley character. Okay. And that's why he's so okay. visually distinct. Gotcha. All right. Well, cool. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're basically in, uh, yeah, we get this introduction of Chris Pines, Peter Parker, um, and then we cut immediately to our, our protagonist, Miles Morales, who, uh, like, as, as far as, individual protagonists in an animated film goes he is excellently written and perfectly acted (laughs) yeah this feels like a and we're both old men so maybe it's not our place to say but this doesn't feel like a movie that like old people are like this is how young people act this feels like people have a good grasp on what like a teenager your young adult in this era like of of his circumstance would kind of act like and have interests in you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I mean, what what I love is that we start on, you know, he's he's an average kid because he's listening to music and he's trying to sing along, but he doesn't actually know all the words. Yeah. So you immediately like identify with him because he's doing what everybody does. Yeah, if this movie like something, but you have no idea what half of the words are. If this movie was in 1994, the song would have been uh, End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M., but it's like the right. same gag. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so you you just, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a great way to start, and then you get, uh, and then you just get these really cool little details around to tell you that you're in an alternate universe, like his, his dad's uh, PDNY patch. Yeah. Which, you know, I didn't notice that the first time I watched it. I noticed that last night when I rewatched it. I want to, um, before you get into it, talking about his dad, and you know how we roll, like, ACAB, but we'll give him a pass because he's not a real person. Um, the performance by 
Brian Tyree Henry, I think he kind of steals the movie. I think his performance is so good mm-hmm. as Miles' dad, and, like, the father-son relationship is treated with a tenderness that you don't normally see in movies at all. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially, like, portraying, like, you know, a black or a mixed-race family. Oh, like, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a very tender, like, what you'd imagine a normal family is, and you don't see that a lot in movies, and it's sad and kind of striking that it's really noticeable here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and what's interesting, you know, when he when he drops, when his dad drops him off at school, they have, one, they have a very meaningful and brief conversation about class and about uh, whether, you know, whether Miles belongs in this kind of uh, smarty private school, uh, private academy kind of thing. But also he, you know, the dad then does that, like, you know, say you love me thing over the, yeah. over the cop car PA, which, which, I mean, that, that sort of exchange is like you said, I mean, that would usually be relegated to like mom in a minivan. Yeah. But instead not, they, they the, do this thing where they make it a father and son story where they're not like, they're not, they're, they're not, uh, estranged from each other. But they're not as connected as they could be. And so the arc is more about kind of both of them finding each other in the middle ground. Like both of them getting over whatever it is, you it's know? It's real and very earned. It's not like the uh, the Man of Steel. Like, you're not my real dad, which I just found out five minutes ago. Right. It's like, you know, a young man. And I'm sure, you know, I'm close with my father. You're close with your dad. But I'm sure we had yeah. our moments when we were younger. I know I did where it was like kind of a... I wouldn't say frosty relationship, but it was closed off because you're figuring out who you are. They don't recall what it was like to be your age, or if they did, it was a different circumstance because they were working in coal mines when they were 50. You know what I mean? Like that kind of <laughs> shit. Yeah. Well, no, so, I mean, it is. it is. I mean, and a lot of it's the, the – there's an authentic, like, earned softness. Because I think that's – I think that's the – I mean, it, it, you know, I think that's the thing that happens with fathers and sons. I mean, I certainly – you know, my my dad and I are are able now, and for maybe the past like eight years or so, to to be more like vocally affectionate than we were when I was younger. I like it know, just wasn't a thing that we did necessarily. I don't know if it was a if it's a thing that like I can't speak for girls and how their parental relationships go, but it seems like it's like everybody gets clo- if you are close with your father, you usually get closer to them when you're an adult. Yeah, when you're oh. kind of out in the world and you're able to make your own decisions, and you know, they can help you through things, and but it's not like a direct like, like a report to you situation when you don't have direct reports with your dad anymore. Like you kind of right. find a, a more common ground, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, my, my sense is that I don't know, and this, this may be just with my dad, but I feel like a, a, a dad kind of might put a lot of time into sort of like they really want to mold you into the person like they want to make you a good person when you're young which means they don't usually like they might not offer you as much uh praise or give you as much like lead as as they do later in life yeah and then when and then when you get older and you're both adults there there's kind of this sense that like oh you know what yeah you are as prepared as I hoped you'd be. Yeah, yeah. Then, I think a lot of it just comes from like the intense fear of fucking up. Right. Like yeah. as oh. raising a kid, like oh god, I can't, I cannot fuck this up. I can't let him do the same stupid shit I did, or whatever. You know, it's all, it's all from a place of like, you know, raising you up, 
to yeah. kind of like higher to than where they were, but it it can be like difficult. Oh yeah, no, I mean, well, and I think you know, depending, like, I don't, yeah, I think a lot of as, as we go generationally back in the United States, and this is probably too too much of a blanket statement, but I think it's pretty fair. Like, I don't think dads were as like. Uh, emotionally available in, say, the 50s and 60s when my dad grew up. And so there's there's also this kind of sense of, like, you want to do better than your dad did by you, but you also feel this incredible responsibility to make sure this kid doesn't, like you said, doesn't end up fucked up. So you're juggling a lot and really trying to, like, execute something, which is also probably just a, a male energy thing. Like, hey, I got to... I gotta do this right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all just we're, we're engineering problems, right? To our yeah. fathers, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, um, and, and that's not discounting mothers who are like that, because God knows there's plenty of them out there that do the same. But uh, kind of touching back to this uh, movie that we're talking about, as somebody that has an overly affectionate Puerto Rican mother, I appreciated the scene where he cannot walk out the front door without fifty-five hugs, and you know what I mean? Like, oh it was, yeah, it was very yeah. on model. No, I mean the the whole thing. The whole thing feels feels completely real. Like the dad's main concern is, "Hey, you earned this. Go do it." You know, I he, the the dad goes from like basically, "Hey, you know, you you can't you can't meet my expectations because I'm trying to hold you to high account." To by the end of the movie, basically saying like, "Yeah, I I just love you for who you are." And I'm sorry that I've been pushing you so hard. And he also has that external motivation, as we'll get to with the Prowler, of, God, yeah. this kid's so close with his uncle, and I see a lot of him in this kid. Right. And I can't let that happen. Yeah. But it's, it's a, not, it, it doesn't come yeah. from, like, a place of spite, like in a lot of movies. does. like, he clearly loves his brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't, he just knows that his brother has been on a, a criminal path, and he doesn't want, he doesn't want to lose his son to that. Yeah. And he doesn't, and he doesn't understand how to, because I mean, he, God, yeah, even like that, the the sequence when we are introduced to the uncle, and they and they have a very brief conversation that you know he's just like, yeah, well, your dad and I used to be really close, and then you know he got into the police thing, and stuff changed, but they don't they don't like hit it over the head, they don't try to make this a parable about you know, being a. a Good versus evil. It's 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 all very sincere and very human. Well, because in a in a worse movie, it would be like he'd go over there and his uncle's like smoking weed and like oh fuck your clown ass dad and even like there's still like a, like a sense of kind of like not letting Miles do things too wrong with uh, Aaron because when he takes him to put up his mural instead of just like going somewhere out in public, he takes him to this like abandoned place that has a blank space, you know what I mean? So he can do it without the threat of like legality. Yeah. Which yeah, I think is an wants, interesting yeah. touch. Oh, it's it's great because he's he's acknowledging like he wants to be a good uncle. He wants to keep the kid out of trouble, but he wants him to express himself. Right. So he takes him to a semi dangerous place that, you know, becomes more dangerous because of the uh incidental spider that happens to be there right but i also okay so yeah so uh, i mean that's pretty much where we are in the movie right there they go down and paint this mural uh miles paints a mural uh and he gets he gets bit by 
uh, a radioactive spider from Alchemex. And uh, I love how that scene is handled, too. Because he gets bit, and we get a very dramatic, like, push in through the through the layers of, of dermis. Yeah. And he just smacks the spider and keeps walking. It's no big the, deal. It's the last Jedi joke with the lightsaber, but it actually works. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a good way to put it. Because it, it is. It's, it dismisses the the meaning of the object, of the moment. Right. But, yeah, but it delivers because you, you know, he has no reason to think anything else. Like, he has zero context, which is yeah. why it works well. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, he gets, uh, well, I don't know. The, the school montages are great. Um, I, gotta, I gotta say, too, like, the, the fact that the animation is this kind of Often the backgrounds especially have this multi-layered thing happening where it, it mimics how comic books would have the different color dots printed unevenly. Yeah, the old the old cheap newsprint coloring. I forget what it's actually called, but when we were, you know, young enough that we're buying single issue books in uh, stores and if you don't know what that is, stores used to be places where you went to buy things in a physical space. It was um, an outdoor box. <laughs> right. <Don't be> <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, that I, I just I love that touch too. And then even just the the you know, the 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 fight sequence uh with Peter Parker fighting uh Green Goblin and uh Kingpin and then you know, you, you they're throwing in the the onomatopoetic word bubbles. Yeah. And the, the action s- sequences of this movie are all like very impressively staged. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you want to say it's easier to do it because you're not dealing in a live space, but we've all seen, like, badly uh, staged animation action scenes, like a lot of them. So these are very, like, well choreographed. Yeah, there's, it it really, it feels like they, they not only, okay, because, yeah, they, they knew that they were operating from an animated space, which means, okay, it's easier, we can do anything, but they actually did anything, and they did it well. Which is something that a lot of times that doesn't happen. I, it, like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to visualize, I guess, a sequence where you, there aren't any rules, necessarily. But, yeah. I mean, especially the, especially the closing sequence of the film, which completely eschews space altogether. Yeah. But it still feels like, and this is kind of like a weird way to put this, it still feels like they're operating with cameras, you know what I mean? Like, okay, this is where this camera would set, and then we'll switch to this shot, and then, you know, this pan, and then this overhead, and then we'll push in here, and you know what I mean? Like, it's all like, uh, like cinematography heavy. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it. I, even that, that opening sequence when Miles goes to school, yeah. We have a tracking shot of him that operates like a tracking shot. Right. They don't just, you know, they're not just far away and and showing you him walking through a crowd or something. They're they're following him like it's Goodfellas or yeah, you know. you, it's like a dolly shot. Sans yeah. dolly. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's see. We've got. Uh... So Spider Man, the Peter Parker, uh, Chris Pine is killed in this fight. Uh, there's a memorial for him where everybody shows up in various Spider-Man regalia. 
And uh, Mary Jane delivers this really nice eulogy, kind of like stating the theme that we talked about, about how it could have been anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a really great joke here in a really somber scene where uh, Miles is like, I will do it. And the guy next to him is like, well, they're probably not talking about you specifically. Yeah. (laughs) Because they're all, yeah, they're all wearing Spider-Man masks. Yeah. Um, Which Miles, by the way, bought his costume from Stan Lee's costume shop, which is a Stan Lee cameo. Um, especially because of just the visual gag of like, yeah, one size fits eventually. Yep. And then he's like, and it's also just no refunds. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the ultimate joke of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, the, 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 and it's only like, it's like 10 to 15 seconds of the movie, but the moment when kind of the newscast goes out that Spider-Man is dead. You see all of these people checking their phones, and you feel this genuine sadness that's resonating through New York, right? Yeah. In, in a way that, again, like, I don't feel like that's been done well in any of these movies. Well, no, and again, it feels like it takes place in the present time, because, like, even now, even in something like Batman vs. Superman, it'd be like everybody gathered around a storefront to watch a news broadcast. Be like, no, how would this actually happen? Well, everybody would be on Twitter or Instagram or wherever, and that's how they would find out. Yeah. And everybody would find out instantaneously. So, right. like, it's a great way to disperse that news and be able to get, like, a bunch of different reactions at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it, and it's just, it's so genuine. <laughs> Dog <We're>, fight. Yeah. <laughs> you clowns. Um, so, yeah, but just... It, it, it's it's I it, yeah it it's an incredible attention to detail and love of the world that you're creating to to execute that well also like because it, it would have been easy to just be like well yeah Spider Man's dead and they could have just shown Mary Jane on the Times Square uh, jumbotron and then cut away and been done with it yeah. but they didn't you like, know they really connected you connected everybody to it. To Spider-Man, and yeah, it's great. For such a fantastical movie about breaking the space-time continuum, it's very grounded at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, even even the, the whole point, like, the reason Kingpin is doing this is a super grounded reason. Like, yeah. he, is, he, is a, he is one of the more valid Marvel villains in a Marvel movie. Yeah, and you have to spend almost no time with him. It's kind of a masterclass in establishing a motivation that you understand without having to... Get into a really long-winded exposition about anything. Yeah, he never... He doesn't ever talk about it. He has one, like, 12 to 15 second flashback. And... We... And and uh, Chris Pine's Peter Parker alludes to it in the beginning of the movie. And that's about it. Yeah. Like, there's, some, there's some great... Because uh, they do kind of like a quick montage of family portraits. And they're all uh, references to the Bill Sienkiewicz paintings of same... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's about this time we're introduced to Richard B. Parker, who is the fat Spider-Man. And they do this great Peter. gag where... What's that? Peter Peter B. Parker. Yeah. Where they, um... Did I say Richard? You did. Okay, that's his dad. I don't know why I did that. Um, You're good. <laughs> you got dads in the brain, man. Yeah, it's fucking bizarre. Um, yeah, and he... Every time you're introduced to somebody, they, they get the same beginning origin story. Like, my name is Peter Parker. Or my name is Gwen Stacy. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. But he lies through his origin 
as they're showing what's actually happening, but as he's telling it, it's his version of it, which is pretty great. Oh yeah, well, and that's and that's the kind of thing that like Lord and Miller are good at. Because yeah. I, I don't know how you feel about like Scrubs and stuff, but one of the things that those that their like mo- that their shows and all of really everything they've done does well is they they get how to do visual and spoken comedy and play it well, and they and 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 they and they deliver on this character who who is self protecting but a total loser. Oh yeah, he's like a shithead. Yeah. But I mean, it also like going back to kind of the fatherhood arc. Like the, the thing that kind of broke him was that he didn't want kids, and he ends up kind of like warming up to and basically becoming a a father figure stand in at least for a bit, because the, he has something that Miles can identify with in the immediate moment, right? Where his own father is something that's like a a lifetime. Of identifying, you know what I mean. He has like a family history, but this like immediate problem that Miles has, and when you're a kid, the immediate problems are the only ones that matter. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yes. and, and and he's he's it's a hero worship thing. It's like, uh, you know, beyond beyond just the the powers, it's kind of this thing of getting a second chance to <laughs> to know somebody who you know, because Chris Pine Spider Man is like immediately a father figure to him. Yeah. Like, he's ready to just be like, yeah, okay, you're like me. I didn't realize that was possible. Great. Let's do this. Yeah. And then he loses his his uh, willing mentor right away and then gets a reluctant mentor. Yeah, it's the old samurai trope. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so, yeah, Peter B. Parker is, is... introduced and he he basically tells the story of how yeah he didn't want he didn't want kids so he and uh, Mary Jane are broken up and uh, Aunt May is dead in his timeline he's like 30 33 or something yeah yeah he's he's an old man of 33 yeah and he's 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 put on some weight from eating a lot of pizza and crying yeah same. and, uh, <laughs> and they <laughs> I've got the same. I've got Spider-Man energy. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, but they hand and they handled the they handled the multiple comments on his weight very cleverly, as well. Like they're they're funny. They're funny little pokes without being mean. Yeah, there's a, that great gag with Doctor Octopus where it's like, oh, you're a little rounder. It must be from the dimensional warp. And he's like, yeah, I was much I was much flatter before all that. <laughs> yeah, I was much flatter before I warped. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, so we've got Peter B. Parker, we've got, oh yeah, Miles, Miles is also, uh, has also kind of had a, a, an introduction to a relationship with Gwen Stacy, who, uh, calls herself Gwanda (laughs) to begin with. She's South African. She's South African. Which is a great gag, too. Yeah. Um, but I, and I, and I love the way that in that conversation, and the whole sequence of him getting stuck to her hair and everything else that, you know, they have him keep excusing it as like, this must be a puberty thing. Yeah. But it's probably one of the best depictions of what the awkwardness of going through puberty feels like too. Like this sudden awareness that everybody is looking at you and everybody is judging you and you have no control over your body. (laughs) Yeah, like, th- this yeah. uh this like set of scenes also contains a weird reference to the This is America video. 
Oh, does it? Well, you've seen the video, right? Yeah. Remember, like, when he's... His pants are too short now, and he's, like, he loses his shirt at some point, and he's just kind of, like, goose-stepping outside of the building with his pigeons flying around him? Yeah, yeah. Go back and watch that and see if that doesn't look exactly like Donald Glover in the This Is America video. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll check it out again. That's, uh, yeah. I, and I think it might be a tie-in because there was that, uh... That push to have Donald Glover play Spider-Man before they uh, recast him with Jane or what's Andrew Garfield? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That that worked out well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. So, let's see. There's a great. There's a great little joke. Um. So this is this is right after the original Peter Parker guys, but. So the dimensional warping from uh, Kingpin's like Hadron Collider makes all it makes things in Brooklyn like quiver and sort of fracture into these uh, kind of modern art pieces. Yeah. Uh, and at one point we cut to people on the street looking at a, uh, a street light in an intersection that has kind of gone all different directions and someone is heard to say I yeah it's a bank, it's a bank. <laughs> yeah I, and it's just because the the movie's littered with these very subtle jokes that are excellent yeah um yeah it's like a, a gremlins 2 level of good throwaway jokes yeah 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 uh so yeah we got we got peter parker we got uh they they go to so okay so when miles and peter parker peter b parker meet each other uh they have to run away from the cops because, um, I guess they appear to be Spider-Man. I don't know. It, that was a little confusing. They were fucking around in a graveyard or something, and I don't know if they thought like, I forget like P- they think Peter's a hobo or something's like some kind of improprieties going on. Right. So so they're running away, uh, and through the course of their running away, it he breaks, uh, Miles breaks the. Uh, USB drive solution that that original Peter Parker had made to yeah. shut the to shut the collider down. Uh, so they have to figure out uh, how to deal with that. Uh, which yeah, Peter B. Parker just calls him a goober because he's like, yeah. "There's always something." So <laughs> I just call it a goober, which is a great give it. <laughs> Every time he says "give it," I like chuckle. Give it, give it. <laughs> um. Uh, so, yeah, so they break into Alchemex to get the files to make a new goober, uh, which is where we get this reveal of, um, a female Doc, Doc Ock. This whole sequence is, fuck, all the gags in this sequence are fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I, I wrote down, you know, as they're, as they're getting chased out of the Alchemex facility through the cafeteria by all the gun-toting scientists. (laughs) Yeah. So one woman says, he took a bagel. <laughs> and then Miles turns around and throws the bagel back at the lady when they're running out the door. <laughs> Hits her, you get a very tiny onomatopoeia bagel <laughs> in your head. <laughs> it's just, I, just, uh, how so, old are you? Because you don't look a day over 35. Like that whole sequence is great. Yeah. I, it's like, yeah, why I'll, did you take the monitor? Right. We don't, we don't need that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the the way that the way that uh, the turn for uh, Olivia Octavius and how you know 
she appears because we see her earlier in the movie uh, in a film that the students are watching. Yeah, she's in the background, but her but her Chiron is covered conveniently by Miles, right. so you don't really know what who she is. And then this person comes back, and she seems to be at least in the initial dialogue because they're overhearing her talking with Wilson Fisk that she's going to be uh, a voice of reason character. Like she's right. she's the bes- you know the beset scientist who's like, hey, we're going too far with this. This is dangerous. And we get this wonderful, unexpected, and and brilliantly written turn where, you know, she notices Peter B. Parker and mentions that, you know, he must have gained weight because of the because of the warping, and then says, hey, yeah, you know, this is going to be terribly painful for you, uh, and I can't wait to watch. And then we get this, like, oh, shit, she's, like, super sinister. Um, and then, yeah, badass chase sequence, uh, they get themselves in trouble, they're going to drop the, the computer, and then uh, Spider-Gwen shows up. And she gets her, you know, she gets her reveal, which I, I love that, too. And I, and I hear there's going to be a Spider-Gwen movie. Yeah. Which I'm so saying. I'm excited for that because, and I wonder if they'll spend any time on uh, Lizard Man Peter Parker or not. Yeah, they do a really good job with her because I think in a worse script, she would have been, like, so badass, but... You know, she's played as, you know, someone with some experience with Spider-Man. She, you know, she's tough like you would be. But she's still a young person. Yeah. Like, she's she still, still feels a like a older. kid. Yeah. yeah. She's just a little older than Miles. She's just self-assured because she's been at it longer. Right. Um, and she's also experienced the loss that Miles has to experience to kind of get him over the hump, which is, you know. Yeah, that conceit that, like, you can't be Spider-Man unless something like that has happened to you is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, it, yeah, I guess it's, uh, there's got to be some motivator for that leap of faith. Yeah. Like, faith has to come from something, and loss is a really easy place to get faith from. Yeah, it's like the, um, well, because they're trying to save everybody in, pro, you know, as a proxy save of, the you know, the person they lost. It's like the, you remember, um, you read Cat's Cradle at some point, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Remember, I forget what the doctor's name is, but he was like a Holocaust uh, German scientist. And it's like a doctor whoever reaches the break-even point, and it's like, you know, if he saves 18 lives a day, he figures he will break even for all the people that he killed in 153,000 years. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's not that same kind of black comedy, but it's that same kind of motivation. It's like, I gotta save as many as I can to make up for this thing. Oh, yeah. That I wasn't able to do. Right, right. Well, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, um... Kingpin, again, just really well done. Uh, really reminds me of the Vince D'Onofrio Daredevil version. He's played by Liv Schreiber in a very good but not very obvious Liv Schreiber performance because you're so used to his voice from, like, at least for me, from, like, HBO baseball documentaries. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he's, what Roger Maris didn't know, you know, that kind of thing. But, no, he's got, like, this weird Brooklyn accent. And apparently I was watching a little bit of the behind-the-scenes he stuffed a bunch of toilet paper off his nose so it sounded like a guy who had his nose broken a bunch of times. Nice. That's good. Yeah, his that vocal performance is is very solid. Yeah. Cuz he he conveys menace without doing anything arch, but he actually yeah. feels like he's from Brooklyn. Yeah. Which is like a first for kind of the kingpin cuz he's always this kind of erudite like almost British or at least like 1910s mid-Atlantic kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah, that Cary Grant-style accent. Yeah. Yeah. 
so yeah, so they decide uh, now with th- that they got to go take this uh, computer somewhere. So they they zip on over to Aunt May's house uh, yeah, yeah. in in Queens, and Aunt May is played by Lily Tomlin, and she's phenomenal. Oh, she's like, she gets, really really good. Like for for how limited she is in the movie, like every single line is perfect. And also, Aunt May ends up being a, a real badass because she ends up baseball batting one of the bad guys later. She in. feels like it. You get it. Uh, immediately, it's like, I've been through all this before. Like, she is phased by nothing. Yeah, yeah, she's just like, yeah, okay. I mean, even the, the part where she's just like, hey, you didn't think you guys were the only ones who thought to come here, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they have a meeting in the uh, in Peter Parker's amazing, like, underground Spider-Man cave. Uh, <laughs> this place is pretty pretentious, don't you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you got a futon and... Yeah. Um... But yeah, so we meet uh, we meet Nick Cage as uh, Spider Man Noir. Nick Cage's performance is so insane and so like perfect. And the idea that Spider Man Noir comes from a place where color doesn't exist is fucking hysterical. It reminds me of um, there was an old Calvin and Hobbes strip where Calvin asked his dad wife. You remember like how Calvin's dad never knew anything, but so he would just make up the most outlandish shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he's like, well. Well, old photos were in black and white because the world was in black and white. It didn't turn color until sometime in the 1960s. And Calvin's <laughs> right. like, well, why didn't all the photographs change? And he's like, because there were colored pictures black and white. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, you know, the, the whole, yeah. this whole setup, like, where's that wind coming from? We're in a fucking basement. And he's like, wherever I go, the wind follows me and it smells yeah, he, like rain. Yeah, he says everything. Everything is is spoken with total seriousness, but not, but not like campy either. No. Like it's it's fun because he's delivering it in this very like lighthearted noir believable way. And then yeah, the whole the whole thing with him like and the Rubik's cube, which is just amazing. Yeah. Sometimes I let matches burn all the way down to my fingers just so I could feel something, and then it burns down. And he's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it burns down before it gets to his fingers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and we get uh, we also get uh, Penny Parker, who's Spider Man twenty forty nine or something. Or uh, I forget. No, it's just, uh, we get Spider Man twenty ninety nine at the very end. Oh, that's uh, the very end. Okay. Yeah, she's like some other. There was a, a series of books called like I forget if it was called the Spider Verse or something. But yeah, recently all these characters came out like Spider Gwen the UK Spider-Man and they all came from like this series of alternate universe Spider-Man books. Noir was a little bit earlier. There was a, a set of Marvel Noir books. There was like X-Men, Spider-Man, I think Deadpool had one. Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we get, so we get her, uh, and her, uh, robot her mech basically that, that she doesn't have actual Spider-Man powers, spider powers, but she does have a badass mech. Yeah, uh, and then we get uh, Peter Porker, Spider Pig, played Spider by John Mulaney. Yeah, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, um, he's really good. And I love that they went through like each character's animated in the style that's appropriate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, when they do the because uh, they now we do a, a three split screen version of their origins. Yeah, in it's parallel. Like it's, a, it's a long story. Oh well, this is a little bit later. And then they do, like, a smash cut to them getting bit by a spider landing on their dimensions. Like, well, I guess it wasn't as long as I thought. Yeah, I guess it's not. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, we just have, we have this cool sequence. Uh, 
you know, Peter B. Parker talks up Miles' invisibility and his electricity power. Or Yeah. I, does he have electricity powers, or is he supposed to be blasting venom? I got confused about that. I think they just called it a venom blast, but I think it's supposed to be some kind of, like, bioelectricity. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but that whole... It's like, I can't do it on command. He can't do it on command. <laughs> like, yeah. That He's kind of... Selling. That carnival barker scene is really good. Um, and yeah, and then, and then you have this just really powerful sequence where they're all... All of the other spider people kind of gather together because they're like, I don't think this guy can do it. I don't think he's ready. Yeah. And and Miles slinks off because he's basically been rejected by the only, again, immediate family that he's ever had who just w- should wholly accept him because he's exactly like them. Right. You know? He's not and, – and I think that's the, that's the thing, right? Because he and his dad aren't perfectly connected because Miles is kind of a graffiti artist still. And his yeah, dad Miles represents the law. Yeah, his, his Miles is his uncle, like prior yeah. to like a divergent path. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's also important to remember, and why this works so well is that Miles is like a child. He's because they say Brooklyn Middle, so I mean he's he can't be any older than fourteen. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fifteen tops, but yeah, like right. So like every like yeah. emotional impact just hits him super hard. Oh yeah, well, and it and and I mean it it would suck. It would suck to ha- just meet all of these people and have them basically be like, "You're not you're not good enough to be in our club." Yeah, it's like you just found out you're one of the you know f- five most unique people in the universe, but you're still not quite good enough to hang out with the other four. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Miles slinks away. Um, uh, I yeah, I didn't really take any more notes after this because well, no, there's, there's a, good a big movie. there's a big fight scene here, which is important because oh, all yeah. the sinister six shows up to include his uncle, who we found out is the Prowler. Yeah, his, his uncle's about to drop him off a roof. He doesn't know who he is. He pulls the mask up, and he finds out, and then his uncle is killed. Yeah, Kingpin shoots Prowler. Yeah, in a in just a moment of yeah. I mean, it's really the moment of the most bitter kind of careless retribution and it tells you so much about kingpin's character right there like he doesn't care about anybody no he just wants what he wants yeah uh yeah so then uh yeah so miles then takes his uncle across town to an alley and says goodbye you know and then his dad shows up and the dad now thinks that spider-man is is the villain Right. And his dad was already kind of anti-Spider-Man. He's that, like, anti-vigilante character. Yeah, yeah. Because he even says that at the end of the movie. Like, I, I don't like your methods. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, then, so Miles has his loss. And then you, then you have uh, pretty much, like, Miles coping with that loss... He, he finally, like, his he's, uh, like, bound to the chair by the other spider people. And his dad shows up and talks to him through the door. Mm, yeah. And kind no. of, like, he he kind of, like, prompts this actualization by, like, letting him know how proud he is. And he's like, I see it in you. Like, just because I can't say it doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. And that's what kind of carries him through the the Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite fight scene that we get at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's really it's seeing his dad there, in the control room cheering for him that gives him that extra boost. Yeah, 
that he's like, oh yeah, my dad is proud of me, and I, I love this. I love the attention to detail of Miles' spray painted suit because if you look at it, like you can see all the overspray and the paint runs on it when it gets close. Yeah, it's yeah, really I, consistent, which is like in a again in a like less crafted movie, it would just be like the suit. It would be perfect, you know, sharp lines and everything. Yeah, but he I, looks I, like this is what a young like hip person would make. You know, he's got his. He's got his jacket. He's still wearing his Jordans. He's wearing shorts over his leggings because, God forbid, you walk out there in just leggings. You know what I mean? No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it's it's his his costume. The fact that you know, the fact that when he goes back, he goes back, and Aunt May's just waiting for him. Yeah, and she's like, "Yeah, it took you long enough." Like she, and again, this is that she's been through all this before. Yeah, she's seen the kid be despondent and not embrace it, and then realize it and come back, and. Yeah, and his suit his suit is so perfectly rendered, like you said. Uh and just that 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 sequence where he's, you know, he's basically deciding to go to go for it and he takes a literal leap off of the top of the building and a long fall before, you know, before beginning to swing. Yeah, he has his neo moment. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so then so Miles goes to catch up with the rest of the Spider People at the uh, at the collider, and we get another big battle sequence because uh, everybody's just trying to fight the Sinister Six who who remain. There's a really great callback in the sequence when uh because Peter B. Parker's still fully prepared to kill himself because he's a coward and thinks there's nothing left for him, which is kind of like his ultimate motivation. Yeah, but, uh, he's he's like a he's he's a noble he's a he's a noble loser in that like he thinks he's doing he's making like a meaningful sacrifice by ceasing to be. Yeah, but that's really kind of what he wants. Yeah, yeah, he wants he wants a way to punch his ticket and get out. Yeah, but uh, you know, the, the Peter B. Parker's like, "Are you not ready?" And Miles throws this leg sweep that the, all the characters have been using to prove that he's not ready. And yeah. it knocks him off his feet, and it's like yeah. you gotta go home, man. Yeah, <laughs> which that and that and that callback to you know it's a leap yeah. of faith. Well, it's also a callback to uh, earlier when Peter B. Parker says almost the same exact thing to him. He says, "Man, you gotta go, man." Yeah, yeah. What yeah, could be a really he... long and drawn out like monologue is just like it's so like beautifully summed up. It's like it's time to go. Yeah, it's two, it's it. two sentences and a look. It's the yeah. it's the power of it's the power of you know when when Leia says I love you and Han says I know. Yeah, you don't need anything else. You don't need a a long, you know, <laughs> a long monologue like you said. Um, you know, we we didn't talk about the uh, the fundraiser scene that was really great because all oh, the yeah. people are dressed up as Spider Man, uh, and Nicolas Cage says something to the effect of like. Well, it's in poor taste, but they look good. Yeah, it can't be that easy. It can't be that <laughs> just easy. smash cuts to them walking around. It's like, well, I guess it was. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, Peter Peter B. Parker has this moment where he's he uh, bumps into this reality, Mary Jane, and she just wants more bread, and yeah. he's stumbling through this apology for all of the ways that he let his Mary Jane down by not being there for her for bread. Yeah. And, and uh, Gwen has a really kind of poignant moment here where she's like, don't do this. I've been through all this before. It's not your Mary Jane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Which is kind of, I think, a tie-up to, like, it tags up to those two 
um, in a kind of relationship you don't really see, but like in her reality, Peter was like her best friend. Yeah. So seeing this kind of like this this thing that like ostensibly is her best friend, but is someone totally different. Like you get this kind of like weird kind of wistfulness out of what's a really throwaway bit that they don't have to expound on because you know, okay, well she's met another Peter and it's just, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's true. She, she must've, I mean, she's at least met Peter B. Parker. That's what I'm she saying. She knows yeah. he's not the same guy and right. maybe she might've met the other. We don't know. Yeah. We saw whether she did or didn't. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 Fight sequence at the end is amazing. There's a total lack of space. There's a total lack of setting because it's ultimately just uh, universes collapsing into each other. So there's train, you know, subway trains flying through the sky and buses and cars and like you're on the street and you're in the air and you're beyond time and space. And it still has a very distinct sense of geography and you know where all the characters are, which is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. I mean, it's perfectly, perfectly spaced and, and blocked. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think like there's nothing, there, there's nothing that's sort of as lovingly done as this. And, and I mean, the budget's still huge. It was like $80 million to make it, but there are plenty, there are plenty of movies that cost well more than that, that had no, that didn't have this heart. That didn't have this, like, like you said, you hit it hard, like. It's so grounded. It's such a grounded movie, despite being about multiple universes and a talking spider pig. Like, it's all these goofy things, but it's like the most authentically human experience that you can have with a superhero movie. Yeah, this movie is perfect. Yeah. Oh no, it's it. Yeah, it's one hundred percent perfect. Yeah. It also. Yeah. It also has the best post-credit scene probably in movie history. With the 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 twenty ninety nine one or the yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. with um, uh, Oscar Isaac as Spider Man twenty ninety nine yeah 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 that that and the uh... because like I remember when X three came out they made a reference to the I'm the Juggernaut bitch like meme thing that was going around at the time and it doesn't work but they add a meme to this in kind of like a throwaway post credit scene and it works really well oh yeah yeah and the uh... Even even like the Chris Pine uh, Spider Man song, yeah, it's just I don't know. It just like it really it really cares about itself, yeah. And it's not and it's not just like trying to talk about how great it is. It's it's really goofing on itself as much as it loves itself, and it feels yeah. very human that way. I love the uh, it's a great song and okay popsicle. <laughs> and they show yeah. It like... yeah, and they show and I've I've had that Spider Man popsicle before too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't I don't have anything else about plot because you know. No, I mean that's basically the movie. Yeah, uh, Miles and his dad uh, have a great uh, moment outside the uh, the laboratory space where Miles is still dressed as Spider Man, talks to his dad. His dad says, "Hey, I don't like your methods, but you know I appreciate you." And Miles at one point just says, "Great, great working with you. I love yeah. you." <laughs> there's also there's a really great human moment too it's a little bit earlier where he call miles calls his father and his father's like on the scene of basically like the multiverse collapsing on itself and he's like no no no, i can talk i got time yeah 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 that oh, you're probably busy because yeah. he's stand because he's on the rooftop overlooking the scene 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah. But, you know, so he wants to connect with his son so much that it's like literally the universe is collapsing and he's going to take, you know, whatever time he needs to to talk to his kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's so... Uh, it's so good. It's just so good. I mean, I'm just going it, to... It's it's a 10. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I don't... Like, there's no way it could be anything less. Like, I could have given it a, 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 a 20. Easily. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it was... If it wasn't for Sorry to Bother You, uh, I thought this was the best movie of last year. Uh, yeah. Even better than things we really love, like First Reform, you were never really here. Um, sorry to bother you again. It's such a special, f- and not that this isn't, but it's so, like, off on its own and, like, doesn't even, like... Like, this still functions as a movie that you're familiar with the way movies are structured. Sorry to bother you is something completely different. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Sorry to Bother You has a has just... Yeah, I mean, you, you said it when we talked about it before. It takes such a big swing... And it's like, even the things that aren't perfect, like it's trying, it's trying to do something that doesn't normally happen in in movies. Right. And this, and this isn't, Into the Spider-Verse isn't that. Like this is a, this is not a conventional superhero movie, but it definitely follows a course that we're familiar with. It's 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 a coming of age tale. It is not like high concept in the way that like, that concept for Sorry to Bother You is in, like, the ionosphere. You know what I mean? That's oh, how high concept oh. that movie is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this this movie isn't isn't taking isn't taking the idea of multiple universes and, and you know, spending a lot of time in kind of a Lynchian traversing of them. Yeah. <laughs> in the way that, like, Sorry to Bother You takes you from a very, uh, I mean, I, I, it would be interesting, actually, to, to put, like, that Sorry to Bother You in the Hero's Journey template. Because there is, there's like a world of common day that you start with, and then everything becomes weirder and weirder on this journey. Yeah, the themes in that movie are like, and the issues are so huge and broad, and these in Into the Spider-Verse are like very small and personal, and I think they're both great. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's I mean, you know, it's apples and oranges or whatever, but yeah. like, it's, just, it's, this is, like I said, the second best movie I saw last year. And in a lot of movies, it would have been the best movie. A lot of years, it would have been the best movie I saw. Oh, yeah. No, Which this, is, this... again, a, an achievement for, and I know I keep saying this, which should be a cheap, soulless cash grab. Right. Well, you would think that this this would be like, hey, this is like basically Sony's last Spider-Man movie before they get bought, before the property gets bought by Disney. Yeah. So, here we go. <laughs> and 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 really I didn't even notice that much uh that much like product placement aside from the fact that Miles has like Sony headphones. Oh. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of Sony stuff in it, but that's like that's, that's almost like a tro- well one, I mean, duh, but like two it's like a trope in Spider-Man movies. It's like really bad in that Amazing Spider-Man 2 that we watched. Oh, the yeah. show. Like it is atrocious to the point where everybody has like Sony Ericsson phones and I've met exactly no people that have ever owned a Sony Ericsson phone. Right? They they make phones? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh man, yeah this this movie's great. If you haven't seen it and, and, and you're listening, like you have to see this movie. Um, I am going to uh, I, I pretty much put it forward to to the film club that I do on Sundays that we've got to watch it. Yeah, because uh, I was just like, look, I know like some of the some of the people in the group don't necessarily like glom on to superhero stuff. Um, 
And I was like, look, this is so much more than those than than that kind of thing, though. I mean, the the formula is there, but this is this is really this is really a good movie. This is like just a good film, regardless of whether you know somebody has superpowers or not. Like this, yeah. it, it. I mean, it let like it left me both times I watched it like with that kind of choked up, tight in the chest, happy sadness. Yeah, same. Like you just you just feel like you're on the brink of crying because of how wonderful it is to see someone else feel meaning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a cartoon. And it's a cartoon. I mean, um, yeah. So everybody but Jenny should watch this. Who, uh, as of as we are recording, it is her birthday, and if Nate and I are the long or the shiftless gay dads of Space Boy books, I would say Jenny is the suffering matriarch of that company, and. Uh, <laughs> Tell her happy birthday, and I hope Bill, it yeah. kicks ass. Yeah, 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 definitely. Happy birthday to Jenny today. Uh, she's she's on a trip in L.A. right now, so oh. uh, we did we did some birthday stuff le- early last week. Um, Good. Yeah, she'll be back, and and uh, and I might you know who knows we'll see. Maybe someday she'll want to watch this. She's definitely just she's she just really doesn't like Spider Man. Yeah, it's. I know people that have aversions to spiders, but to spider men is a very, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very niche. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So for for live action corner, we talked a little bit before we started recording, but I rewatched uh, Captain America: Civil War, uh, which you know, as I'm kind of trying to rewatch some of these Marvel movies before Endgame, it uh, it's really good and. This was my second watch, I think, maybe third, but probably second, and I felt it more than I had ever felt it before. I mean, even that, just the way that the the movie closes, uh, the the one on one fight or the two on one fight between uh, between Tony and and uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier is really really powerful. Like I I don't think I paid attention to the quality of acting going on because yeah. it's like a real. They, it, it's oh, the, a real emotional the, story about. Oh, he killed my mom is probably one of the best lines in any of those yeah. movies. Yeah, and like the, the realization that Tony has that like no matter how close he is with Steve, like his uh, their relationship will never come close to the the homosexual romance that uh, Steve and Bucky have. Yeah, that that the the look he gets on his face when you know he's watching he he sees the the security tape. And he looks over at Steve, and Steve's reaction seems to be like, "Whoa, whoa, don't, don't freak out." Yeah. And he's just like, "You knew," <laughs> like, and I, yeah, just, just the really quality, just face expression acting from Robert Downey Jr. to capture that like realization and disgust at the same time. Yeah. That, that huge disappointment. Uh, yeah. The the whole thing, the whole thing is so good. And it really is like I'm really I'm gaining I'm gaining this greater appreciation for how they for how they've put all these movies together because I think you know you watch them you watch them with the temporal gaps that exist in real life and it's it's harder to kind of put each issue because I'm just going to consider each movie an issue like yeah. putting each issue together and and bringing all the threads but the way that the way that this goes from you know the way that Age of Ultron ends and what that gives you basically about, you know, Tony further questioning whether they're doing the right thing and and the way that this movie, the Civil War opens and then the debate 
is about, you know, the debate becomes a very, like, it's a debate of libertarianism from Steve Rogers, more yeah. than anything. He's just like, look, I want to be able to choose to do the right thing, and I know I will. And we're the best people. You well, know? It's also, like, uh, Tony's motivation to, uh, you know, are we doing the right thing? He's like the guy that, I, I, I don't know, he, he had a heart attack because he started smoking cigarettes, and now he's, like, legislating that nobody can smoke cigarettes. And it's like... Almost everything that has gone wrong in the Marvel Universe up to that point is either directly his fault or indirectly his fault. Oh, yeah. So, like, instead of being, like, more introspective, he starts trying to control the things outside of himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's, I mean, he made, he made Ultron. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he's the one who, like, made all the, the weapons and stuff that get used, I think, in Iron Man 2. Yep. To do a lot of destructive stuff. And then... Iron Man three, he's responsible for for uh, Guy uh, Pierce, not Fox. Guy Pierce. Yeah. I always get Guy Pierce and Guy Ritchie mixed up. I can oh, always okay. remember Guy Ritchie's name. It's weird. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's been he's been the thing the whole time. And other than, uh, I mean, the first Avengers movie isn't really his fault. But that's no. really the only thing that isn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. And yeah, it, it's it is. It's interesting because it again, like, it's very personal. Like the story is about Steve Rogers wants to protect his brother slash maybe more than that guy, and he's and he's making this very individual decision for the first time in all of the Captain America appearances to not give up his own opinion for the greater good. Well, no, and it's also the first time you see, like, even he's susceptible to the kind of mental gymnastics that it takes to protect people that you love sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he's not, he's not just the White Knight. He's definitely, like, got shades of gray. Yeah, like, you always feel like Captain America is an absolutist, no matter what. You know what I mean? Like, at least in the movies, in the comics, it's different, but he's got a hundred years of stories. Oh, yeah, It's yeah. like, he has this very staunch moral code, and that is it. Like, you either fall into one side or the other. And now, yeah, again, because it's, like, something that's personally relevant to him, you start seeing um, even he's flexible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's, and, and he, you know, I think the, the way that that movie ends with just the voiceover from the letter yeah. does, does a really, it, it does a really good job of summing that point up. Like, hey, look, you know, I, uh, the Avengers are, are your thing. Like, I've always been kind of an outcast, and this is really the only friend I have for my time left. Which, they don't, they don't hammer that, but there is, there's something really interesting to the fact that, like, look, if you, if you were frozen and woke up 80 years from now, and, the, and there was one other person in the world who had also experienced that, you might, you might feel like holding on to that person at all costs, especially yeah. if you were friends. He's the guy that never got over his ex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's and and I mean that that's the weirdness in this movie is the the strange like he there's this simmering you know mourning of Peggy Carter who he loved in the past and the weird like making out with her grandniece. Yeah. <laughs> situation. They should have cut back to a flashback, and he just like looks over at a Tommy Lee Jones. He's like, "You ever think you just like girls because you're supposed to?" <laughs> <laughs> like Fry's grandfather. <laughs> oh man, 
Um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was really good. I uh, I'm very happy to be rewatching these, and I'm just you know trying to trying to get ramped up to Endgame and really just kind of feel feel how the, I I just yeah I'm really impressed with with the through line, and I know that you know comic book movies are 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 never going to be considered the highest art, uh, at least not. Not now. I mean, maybe in yeah. maybe in fifty years we'll we'll reach a point where it becomes a high art. But the the line from just like from Avengers through Civil War and into Infinity War really is it's really great. Like they yeah. they figured out they figured out how to do these movies where you know hey ever we'll get we'll get basically two standalone movies, which is there's a Captain America movie and there's an Iron Man movie. And then in each of those, the second one gets more characters in it, and we just keep adding people so that eventually it's not it, – it isn't just this, like, well, what does a superhero do in a world of normies? It's, it's a story about, like, what do a bunch of super people talk about when they're trying to save the world and having their kind of soap operatic existence? Yeah, and it, it's, it's especially commendable um... – because they had to work backwards from a lot of those individual movies. Because uh, despite what anybody says, nobody knew what this would turn into, and that it would all have to be interconnected at some point. Oh yeah. So having to like stitch the early stuff to the stuff that they actually had plans for, they did a really good job with. Oh yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's almost completely seamless, save for like there's a there's a weird post credit scene in at the end of Ultron where Thanos takes the gauntlet. Yeah. That I guess doesn't actually connect to anything in reality. Yeah, I mean... Throw away, but, I mean, it's also... That's, like, a five-second scene. Uh, Yeah, they just... uh, Everything everything has been knit together really well. And, you know, when... I don't know. I I watched a little bit of, like, the special features after the movie, and I was... It's it's really kind of astonishing that, that these things work as well as they do and look as good as they do. And the amount of people involved, like, to to wrangle so many cats and to make things that look convincing and real, despite the fact that, you know, you're you're often filming in front of a green screen and doing a lot of camera trickery to to make stuff look a certain way when it doesn't look that way at all. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, movie making is just, movie making is phenomenal. Yep. All right, man. Well, yeah. I, I got to run. I got an appointment. Uh, hey. But... We're also getting ready to work on a project. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about it next week. Yeah, yeah. You and um, I, you and I'll talk, and we can talk a little bit on the on the show. Plug it a little bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell people about our show. Um, go to Spaceboy Books. Read Spaceboy.com if you want to check out some of the science fiction we publish. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast. It's called A Vague Idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe next week we should we try to do the uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah, let's do that. Let's at least do like like the first half or something. Cool. We'll yeah. see what the runtime is, and then we'll work on that. I did yeah. see a. I'm hearing they're like ten minutes long each segment, so it might be quick yeah. enough that we can do them all. But yeah, let's see what we can what we can knock down. They had a. Uh, I saw one of them. It was like a Facebook ad for about these three robots trying to figure out what a cat is, and it was really good. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I love it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, hey, have a good one. You too. Love you. Love you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.